Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Tuesday, January 28th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, the last dash for relevance in Iowa, while three of the top five candidates are stuck in the Senate impeachment trial in D.C., a Republican senator tries to throw shade on Joe Biden, and he revels in it. The latest poll? jockeying for Senate seats this fall, and the latest impeachment updates. It is six days until the Iowa caucuses, 14 until New Hampshire, and 279 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Iowa is days away, as I just said, so let's do our Iowa update. Senators Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren cannot be in the field because of the Senate impeachment trial, which continues for an indeterminate amount of time, as I'll discuss later in the podcast. This also puts in D.C. candidate Michael Bennett, who remains in the race, and Cory Booker, who exited the race but has not chosen whom to endorse. Former Vice President Joe Biden and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg are able to crisscross Iowa at their leisure, as two of the pack of five at the top of Iowa polling. Candidates who are senators visited Iowa over the weekend and tried to make the best of it, while their surrogates and campaign staff are working as hard as they can to make the case for candidacies in their absence. Iowa voters don't seem to care much about the impeachment in terms of their vote. Amy Walter of the Cook Political Report said this to Judy Woodruff on the PBS NewsHour yesterday. But fundamentally, they want to know, will he be convicted or acquitted? And where we are at this point, even among Democrats, and I talked to a lot of them in Iowa, um, their belief is basically that he will be acquitted at the end of the day. And so the focus, yes, they need to do their job. This doesn't mean they don't care about impeachment or they don't think it's important, but they need to, fo- what they're focusing on right now is which is the candidate that can win in November because it is more likely than not that if we want to beat Donald Trump, it will have to be at the ballot box. It will not be through impeachment. One of the recurring bits of analysis coming out is that Sanders could be the top recipient of pledged delegates in Iowa, not by scoring a decisive lead or splitting the vote 50-50 with Biden or other scenarios. Rather, if he achieves 27% of caucus goers' support on average and no other candidate tops 25%, he'll come out on top. He can declare a win. As I have explained... Sorry, so many times, each of the nearly 2,000 separate precincts in Iowa have their own outcomes. Each candidate's supporters have to reach a 15% threshold in the caucus or are required to shift support to others. Notably, once a candidate in a caucus passes 15%, all that person's supporters submit a card for a paper audit trail, cannot change their vote, and can leave. The horse trading is among the sub-15% groups who can throw their support to a candidate past the threshold or try to assemble support among themselves to push one of their candidates past 15%. While Warren is the number two choice in many polls for people whose number one choice doesn't hit the threshold, Sanders is likely to receive her supporters and those of many sub-15% candidates in caucuses in which Warren can't ultimately reach that magic 15% threshold. Winning Iowa, even without taking the lion's share of the pledged delegates, would be one feather in Sanders' cap. New Hampshire votes next, and Sanders has large leads in several polls. Since 1976, only two Democratic candidates have won Iowa and not the eventual nomination in 1988 and 1992. Four have lost New Hampshire in that period, but prevailed in the primaries. 
But in the four election cycles in which the candidate won both Iowa and New Hampshire, they became the nominee. And yet, Sanders doesn't have a lock because of that large quantity of caucuses, each of them a unique mix. The New York Times captured this scrum in a report yesterday from Iowa by Jonathan Martin and Alexander Burns. Talking to Iowa Democrats after a fundraiser on Saturday night, the reporters said the attendees hadn't yet decided. Quote, but by not mentioning his name as they rattled off their shortlists, they made it clear whom they would not support. Senator Bernie Sanders, the Democratic Socialist from Vermont, who has taken the lead in recent polls. Instead, every one of the 30 still undecided Democratic activists here rattled off some combination of the same four names, Warren, Klobuchar, Biden, and Buttigieg. End quote. The New York Times also pointed out that Klobuchar's strong but sub-15% support in polling means if her backers shift as a block consistently across the meetups, they could effectively decide the overall winner in Iowa. But Klobuchar has made a last-ditch appeal to move on from Iowa, telling voters, quote, This person deserves a ticket out of Iowa to be able to go forward, and I am asking you to do that for me, end quote. CNN noted Klobuchar needs a good showing in Iowa more than almost any candidate in the 2020 field. Her poll numbers outside of the state trail her competitors, and she has shown little ability to win over black and Latino voters who will be critical in contests in Nevada, South Carolina, and other contests, end quote. Klobuchar says she's committed through New Hampshire and, like the top four in the race, as well as entrepreneur Andrew Yang and billionaire Tom Steyer, has already qualified for the 8th Democratic National Committee debate, taking place February 7th in Manchester, New Hampshire. Tulsi Gabbard has the potential still to qualify as well, which would put eight candidates on stage at this late point in the race. Nonetheless, one of the likely outcomes of Iowa are delegates entirely split between Sanders, Biden, Warren, and Buttigieg in that order, and with those four and Klobuchar heading to New Hampshire and beyond with any amount of viability. Iowa marks the start of the season. As you well know, there are 52 primaries or caucuses that follow Iowa and last through June 6th. Vox has a great illustrated breakdown of the timing and pledged delegate counts. Find the link in the show notes. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Plexiderm. Imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag, thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes, and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TryPlexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter VOICES at tryplexiderm.com. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need Home Title Lock. 
Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Republicans can't seem to contain their glee that the impeachment trial might have an impact on Biden's run for the nomination. In a press gaggle, GOP Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa told reporters on Monday night, Iowa caucuses are this next Monday evening, and I'm really interested to see how this discussion today informs and influences the Iowa caucus voters, those Democratic caucus goers. Will they be supporting Vice President Biden at this point? End quote. Biden made some hay from this, noting on Twitter later on Monday, Iowa caucus goers take note, Joni Ernst just spilled the beans, she and Donald Trump are scared to death, I'll be the nominee, and tweet. In a statement, Biden's rapid response director, Andrew Bates, said, Senator Ernst just said the quiet part out loud. Republicans are terrified that Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee, defeat Donald Trump, and help progressives gain seats in the House and take the Senate. Donald Trump himself was so afraid of running against Joe Biden that he became the only president in American history who tried to force a foreign country to lie on behalf of his struggling re-election campaign, end quote. Reporters in Iowa say that Biden has been repeating similar lines at events today, quote, you know, the whole impeachment trial for Trump is just a political hit job to try to smear me because he is scared to death to run against me and he has good reason to be concerned, end quote. Given the extreme distrust of the president by Democrats in any poll that asks the question, it seems unlikely that Democrats or most Democratic-leaning independents will have their faith shaken in Biden because of droning presentations in the Senate attempting to link Biden to corruption in Ukraine. There's no evidence of such. In fact, Republicans have made it clearer that all of Biden's actions and statements were part of Obama administration policy and took place out in the open. After the deluge of polls yesterday, I have just one bit of polling news for today. Morning Consult's latest survey, conducted January 20th to 26th, is out. They spoke to 17,836 people likely to vote in the Democratic primaries nationwide and found Biden at 29%, Sanders 23%, Warren 14%, former New York mayor and current multi-billionaire Mike Bloomberg right behind at 12%, Buttigieg at 7%, Yang 5%, Klobuchar 3%, Steyer 3%. Everyone else is 1% or fewer. The margin of error is a wafer thin plus or minus 1%. Bloomberg is approaching having spent $300 million in the race so far, and his polling shows not only a national standing, but improvement in key demographics. Notably, the former mayor apologized for his ill-advised stop-and-frisk policy that disproportionately affected black people, Latinos, and other people of color, and was found unconstitutional and also ineffective in reducing crime. He had defended it up to not long before the apology. 
Well, Bloomberg entered the race with net favorability among Democratic primary voters of plus 5% and among black voters of plus 4%. That number has now skyrocketed to plus 33% among all Democratic primary voters and plus 32% among black voters in that group. Meanwhile, as discussed several days ago, newspaper endorsements rarely have a real-world net effect. Morning Consult looked at the dual endorsement of the New York Times of Warren and Klobuchar. Among all voters surveyed, opinions were unchanged. Among just New York Times readers, with a plus or minus 6% margin of error for that group, support didn't change within that margin of error. Doug Collins, a GOP House member and part of Trump's team of House impeachment defenders, will run in the Georgia Senate primaries, according to the New York Times. He'll be fighting Kelly Loeffler for the nomination. She was appointed by Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, who won in a brutal fight in which Democrats alleged voter suppression. Kemp was the Secretary of State of Georgia during the election. Loeffler took Johnny Isaacson's seat, who resigned for health reasons in August 2019. Trump and others urged Kemp to appoint Collins at that time. Loeffler was a significant donor to the party, seeing the threat she has become more belligerent of late. She tweeted yesterday in response to Utah Senator Mitt Romney voicing the need to hear from some witnesses, quote, Sadly, my colleague Senator Romney wants to appease the left by calling witnesses who will slander Donald Trump during their 15 minutes of fame, end quote. Leffler donated nearly $800,000 to Romney's 2012 presidential campaign, and her husband donated $850,000. Trump has shown that his support can help candidates win or doom them or make no difference when they're really terrible. As in his attempt in late 2019 to rally the troops in Kentucky, there Matt Bevin lost a re-election bid as governor to a Democrat when all other statewide seats were won by Republicans, nearly all with double-digit percentage wins. Bevin was deeply unpopular and pardoned convicted child molesters among his last acts as governor. The focus in elections has largely been on the crowded Democratic presidential nomination race, but Senate seats will be critical as well. In the 2018 elections, more Democratic-held seats were in front of voters, and Dem senators faced effective Republican challengers. Democrats had a net loss of two seats, leading to the current 53-47 to split. Isaacson's resignation and Senator John McCain's death led to two seats being filled mid-cycle that will be voted on this time around, leading to 35 Senate races instead of the typical 32 or 33. And this time it's mostly Republican senators who are facing the voters. Senator Martha McSally lost the 2018 race to Kirsten Sinema, but the state's governor appointed McSally to McCain's seat. Her seat is vulnerable, with many political analysts calling it a toss-up. Cory Gardner in Colorado and Tom Tillis in North Carolina are also generally ranked toss-ups, while Susan Collins in Maine faces high unpopularity scores from a state that favors independence over blind party allegiance. She has a strong Democratic challenger, and some analysts call her race a toss-up, while others think it's still likely in her favor. The Washington Post reported that the political arm of the Bloomberg-funded Every Town for Gun Safety will spend $60 million in opposing Trump and other politicians, including spending in the Gardner race in Colorado and McSally in Arizona. Dems are not favored to hold Doug Jones's seat in Alabama, where Jones won in an incredibly bloody fight for the position that Jeff Sessions vacated to become one of Trump's attorney generals. Jones ran against Roy Moore, a twice-removed Supreme Court justice in that state, amidst several allegations that ranged from acts of sexual assault through unwanted contact or pursuit of relationships. 
Moore was in his 30s, while some of the women who raised allegations against him were as young as 16, although the age of consent is 16 in Alabama. And yes, that only affects issues of consensual relationships, not, of course, of sexual assault or other harassment. Sessions and Moore and other GOP candidates will battle it out in a primary for the GOP nomination. If Sessions wins the nomination, he would likely take the seat. Moore, having had effectively no consequences resulting from the controversies in his first run, would likely win without extraordinary circumstances this time around. Political analysis sites put decent odds at Democrats having as many as 49 seats, but none predict 50 yet, required for a Senate majority if Trump wins re-election, allowing his vice president, which we assume will remain Mike Pence, to cast deciding ballots in ties. 51 is the number needed for a decisive majority, and it seems out of reach. And now the daily impeachment update. The Senate trial continues today with Trump's impeachment legal team wrapping up their remarks. Yesterday, Alan Dershowitz, a professor emeritus at Harvard Law School, delivered a constitutional argument that the drafters only intended criminal offenses to be impeachable. However, he's not a constitutional scholar, and nearly all of those such people reject that argument. Dershowitz is best known as a defense lawyer for celebrity clients, such as O.J. Simpson, Klaus von Bülow, and Jeffrey Epstein, who is also a personal friend. Previous presidential impeachments have included articles that weren't based on statutory crimes. Meanwhile, a few days ago, the GAO, or Government Accountability Office, said that withholding aid from Ukraine, as Trump did, was illegal. Former independent counsel Ken Starr, who led the Bill Clinton impeachment investigation and process, yesterday told the Senate that impeachments are happening too frequently and that they must be bipartisan. Clinton's impeachment, of course was almost perfectly partisan. A handful of Democrats voted for three of the four articles. Only one did for the fourth. Meanwhile, five Republicans voted against the first article, 28 against the second, 12 against the third, and 81 against the fourth. So I guess it was bipartisan in a different way. Starr argued both in favor of a criminal standard and against it, and nobody seems quite sure if he was critiquing himself, justifying his actions, or just saying expedient words. The last seems most likely. Senator Debbie Stanow, Democrat of Michigan, summarized the day like this. We started by hearing Ken Starr lecture us about how divisive impeachment is. Really? Then we heard that Rudy Giuliani is a great American hero. And then we finally heard a summation from Jeffrey Epstein's attorney. End quote. Today, the team is focusing on explaining why no new witness testimony or evidence is needed, even as they ignore or downplay the explosive reveal over the weekend of the unpublished manuscript of former National Security Advisor John Bolton's upcoming book. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina recommended the book be held in a secure facility for senators to view as if it were classified information, despite the fact that drafts are apparently circulating and have been leaked. But there seems to be interest among GOP senators in seeing the manuscript, if not hearing from Bolton. Democrats continue to state that they won't do a spurious witness swap, trading hearing from people like Bolton if Trump's team gets to call Joe Biden or his son Hunter. Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia said this, quote, I'm not making a deal. All they have to do is file a motion, and with 53 Republicans, you'd think they could probably get 51 votes out of it. I don't need to make a deal. If they want a witness, whoever they want, put it up. Have a vote on it. End of quote. Under the current schedule, it now looks as if votes for motions will occur on Friday. It's possible the trial will conclude that day, but also plausible it lasts another week or even two with depositions and testimony stretching past the State of the Union address, which is scheduled for February 4th. 
And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home, and on the World Wide Web at RideHome.info. I am also on Twitter myself, at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. If you like printing history like I do, check out my Tiny Type Museum project at tinytypemuseum.com. Tune in again on Wednesday for the next update. Thanks for listening, and have a pleasant rest of your day. Thank you.